0: We need to look at the pros and the cons, pros and the cons on its own and pros and the cons when we're comparing it with something else. They should understand what the options are before there's any conversation of put your money here or do something else with it. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in.
1: Welcome back to the show and the second half of our conversation here with Eunicia. We're talking today more about putting the tools that maybe some of the people we would consider the ultra-wealthy have and things from family offices to work more in the realm that physicians can access. So where I'd like to jump back into this conversation, I grew up in a working-class family. And so I don't even know if my parents had any individual stock accounts, but there's a lot of other places out there that money can go. And a lot of these are really scary because it feels like, you know, if you've heard of them at all, it was probably... On the news about something bad happening related to it. And then we get scared to go there. So let's talk about some of these alternate asset classes and places where we can make our money work for us. So I'll let you jump back in there.
0: Absolutely happy to be back here with you, Mike, and our listeners. And I love that question about asset classes. But before we dive into that, I'd like to take us back to our conversation from previously. Because as you may recall, the question isn't always necessarily the asset class. The way I look at it is what needs to happen with the money so that we minimize our financial leakage. We minimize the amount of money that gets siphoned through those cracks that we don't even see. And it takes us right back to the discussion of taxes. It takes us right back to the discussion of where, how, why is our money invested And then it also takes us into the discussion about the exit strategies. What do we need to be thinking when we're thinking about exiting the work scene, whether it be as a business owner or as a physician or someone that works for another company? And so when it comes with that in mind, if we then go to asset classes from there, the question becomes, what do we want the money to do for us? We talked a lot about 401ks and the traditional investment accounts, the mutual funds, the stocks, bonds etc. A lot of individuals, that's all they know. They know that there's the market. But what they don't know is that still within financial services, we're not out of financial services, we're within the financial services industry, there are non-traditional financial vehicles that guess what? Where the cost can be minimized, where the risk can be minimized and or reduced altogether, and where we can actually get a lot of huge advantages from a tax perspective as well. And we haven't even left financial services. But unfortunately, some of those discussions are never actually had in conversations because individuals generally will represent the type of financial vehicles that they sell themselves. So now we're still within the financial realm, but we're missing out on opportunities because we don't understand what our options are. Then we get outside of financial services altogether. And now we're getting into the realm of one of the most basic asset classes, if I should call it that, but it's also one of the more complex ones, is real estate. And oftentimes we're being shown away from real estate again by the financial services industry under the premise that, hey, it's great, but there's the big list of buts. Here' are all the reasons why you shouldn't do real estate. Well, guess what? Maybe real estate is in somebody's genes. Maybe they want to do that. But there are other types of investments that are going far beyond real estate. That individuals don't even really know exist because it's not something that was ever part of a discussion and it's not going to come up as part of traditional conversations. So then the question is, how do we go about selecting those quote unquote asset classes that we don't even know exist? That's where the power of discovering what is it that resonates with us What is it that we want this money to do for us? And frankly, for our legacy, for our children, for our heirs, or wherever we're going to leave the money when we leave this world. Those questions come into play because then once we have those answers, we can say, okay, here are the different things that we have options to look into. And then pairing them up with what it is that we resonate with that we also want to do in terms of investment. So long-winded answer, simply because... It's not as simple as here are all of the different classes. There are a lot of classes and there are a lot of pros and cons to consider.
1: And that's where it varies really on what you're trying to do. It may be good for person A, but not so good for person B.
0: Yes. And there are additional considerations where, again, it goes back into, we talked about this before about the area of expertise, right? I'll give you a perfect example we're working with some clients. Um, One of them is a business owner, and the other one is an executive in an organization that he's one of the partners that stood it up. And they started working on the real estate side with someone that told them, hey, we're going to invest in brand new home, brand new construction. We started working together with this family, and they just kept bringing on the questions about this particular real estate portfolio. And so we started looking at it, and there were a lot of unknowns. When we took a dive in there, Mike, There are a lot of big, huge ahas on the client side that were not exactly pleasant. One of the big ahas was the client was going to pay anywhere between 5 to 10% more in the interest rate on their loan simply because they were not viewed by the builder as having prior building experience. But they did have the intermediary that was supposed to take care of that. And when we addressed the question, the intermediary said, well, that's exactly what we're trying to do. And the response from the client, who was very upset, was, well, we were supposed to close on this loan in February. It's now August, beginning of August, and the loan is still not closed. And you're telling us that just now we're trying to do this? Furthermore, as if that wasn't enough, right? The client asked a question of, if we need to get out of this investment, what will it take? And the response was, well, we can get you back your deposit from the builder. But because we purchased the lots at a pretty steep premium because they were build ready and with all the approvals, if we were to sell them, we're probably going to incur a loss. And in my mind, because I know real estate very well, I couldn't help myself. And so I asked the question, these lots were purchased last year. Yes, the market's been a little dicey, but they're in a very prime location. And most lots, I mean, unless you paid crazy premiums, you should be able to get at least the amount of money that you invested in them. Why were they at such a high premium? Well, you know, and we started getting all the list of the, here are the reasons why. And I'm like, No, that should have never happened. And so those are just a couple of the big ahas in an asset class that should have been fairly straightforward. But because the client didn't have the right team on their side, now they're looking at, will we have to deal with the potential loss on buildable lots that should be now selling at a premium and were purchased last year?
1: Mm. And that's just having somebody help you ask the questions.
0: And that's if we would have worked together at the onset... Those would have been phenomenal investments, maybe with that builder, maybe with another builder. But the reality is because those questions were not clear from the onset, the client is most likely, even if they go through and everything closes the way that it should, and they end up building these properties, the likelihood that they're going to leave an additional 10, 15, 20% on the table is high. And when we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars in multiple properties, that adds up and it adds up quickly.
1: Oh, uh-huh. yeah. That's a big leak.
0: That's a big it's leak. Up. And that's just one <laughs> example, right, of one asset class that it should be exciting. We're looking at new build. It wasn't part of syndicate. The client would frankly have been much better off. But we didn't even have an opportunity to talk about syndicates or to talk about different asset classes even within real estate because somebody came to bear and said, here's a bright, shiny object. Let me tell you why it's so critical that you buy into it. And the client, not knowing what their options were, they bought into it. And now we're working with figuring out how we're going to undo a mistake that could potentially cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars.
1: I think that when there's a time pressure put on, that always makes me nervous. And I know there are real time pressures sometimes, but a lot of people are like, oh, if you want to do this, you need to do it right now. And even with syndications that are filling up, because a lot of times you're going to raise a million dollars. And if they've already raised 900,000, there's not a lot of room left. So there may be some time pressure there, but if it's with a good operator, there'll be another deal. The deals never end. And it's one thing to say, if you want to do this deal, we need to do it right now because it's going to fill. But then if they say, But that's okay. You don't have to get in on this deal. If you have more questions, there's going to be more things coming down the line. I like those people better because they, I don't know, when they're trying to help you understand what's going on rather than you got to move right now on this.
0: That pressure, it never feels good. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that pushed me to do what I do and to hyper-specialize on the clientele that we specialize and we work with, as well as the strategies that we work with for that reason. Because once upon a time, I too felt very pressured. And I looked at my husband and I said, please get these people off my back because it's like I can feel the sales breath from a mile away. They won't give up. They won't give me the answers. Not that I'm looking for, but they won't clarify my questions. It feels like we're constantly chasing our tail. I can't do that. But unfortunately, a lot of individuals, especially those that are nowhere near the financial world, are going to have a hard time putting up with that because it takes too much time. It takes too much effort. And at one point in time, you just go, yeah, I hear you. I'm just going to do it because to your point, they feel pressured, the timing component. And so what we tell our clients, especially when we're dealing with tech strategies, those are the most time sensitive because sometimes the cutoff is the end of the year, right? (laughs) So it's one of those things where it has to get done. Even then, what I tell my clients is we have to evaluate them. We have to put opportunities side by side to figure out which makes sense to go first, or maybe if they need to go in tandem, how are we going to address them? Are we putting ourselves at risk simply because we're pushing that deadline? So if that's the case, do we need to look at something else that needs to happen? Because there's nothing worse than implementing something that will be regretted simply because it was due to a timeline constraint. So timelines are something when people feel pressured, I couldn't agree with you more. There's always something wrong inherently there.
1: If there's a timeline constraint, like you said, with taxes stuff, I think if somebody can't explain to you why there's a time pressure and what the alternative to not acting on it, if it's just, you need to buy this and you need to do it now that's different than, okay, this opportunity is going to end or we got a tax year ending versus some of those other things. I guess I've always found the people that want to delve into your questions are typically a step ahead, at least, of the people who want to sidestep questions and just, let's just get it done.
0: Absolutely. Yes. There's a reason why um, doctors, physicians, highly skilled professionals, even in the business world, are afraid of trusting individuals in the financial services industry. I don't fault them, which is why when somebody comes to me and I can't tell you how many times people ask me the question of, why should I trust you? My answer is you shouldn't. (laughs) You should not trust me because the things that I like for my own self may not be suitable for you. They may be, they may be not. And it's funny, I've played this with several clients where prior to them joining us, they would say, but please just tell me What are the things that you like to do? That's why I'm not going into very specifics, right? And the answer is, I'm not going to do that because the moment I do that, I'm doing you a disservice. So then after we would start working together, they would say, okay, now we're working together. Tell me what it is that you like to do, you like to invest in. Before actually going through, we have a very robust methodology that we walk our clients to be through so that they feel empowered. At the end of the day, the client, you need to feel empowered I already know what I know. Right. And so I kind of role played it. And with one of the clients, I said, okay, fair. You guys keep pushing. We're not progressing because you just want to know what I do. So let me just play this out. So I explained to them the benefits of one of the products that I really, really enjoy that we have for ourselves and friends and family members and all of that. All the benefits, all the reasons why it's so cool. And I said, okay, why don't we go ahead and get this started and we'll go through it and everything will feel good. And then you guys will have a chance to enjoy the same thing that I enjoy. And I paused and I said, how did that feel? Did that feel at least a little bit salesy? And they're like, you could tell that they just kind of pulled back via Zoom. They pulled back and the response was just a little bit. I said, and I didn't even sell it. All I did is I just told you all the reasons why it excites me. It makes me happy. Now, in order for this to be fair to you, You do need to understand that it's there, but we need to look at the pros and the cons. Pros and the cons on its own and pros and the cons when we're comparing it with something else where the same amount of money could be going. And they went, oh, now we understand. But unless people go through that and they have permission to not feel sold they don't understand that it's okay. As a matter of fact, they shouldn't be sold. They should understand what the options are before there's any conversation of put your money here or do something else with it over there.
1: I love that answer. Okay. I'm just going to step back to refocus this on doctors because I know you've worked with a good number of doctors and it was a doctor friend of mine who connected us to begin with. What are some of I guess I'm trying to be general here where you've been trying to tell me that sometimes you can't be general. Biggest mistakes that doctors make in their financial planning?
0: A lot of them are focused in the fears that we talked about previously. It's the fear of who do I trust? And I don't blame them because you pointed it out. The moment you graduate med school, you haven't even gone through residency, you're already being bombarded with phone calls and people knocking on your door. Outside of the fear of who to trust is this fear of will I look foolish if I ask questions that maybe are considered to be in the don't ask them questions, or maybe they'll make me look like I don't know what I'm talking about, or frankly, they'll make me look stupid. And it kind of goes back to our conversation from previously. It really depends on who you're talking to. But if as an expert in your own field, anybody makes you feel like you don't know what you're talking about or that your question is somehow missed the mark, those are not the people that you want to be around. You want to be surrounded with people where you're in a safe environment to ask. My philosophy is that no question is a stupid question unless it goes unasked. Because if it goes unasked, it festers and it doesn't allow us to get to the next level. So those would be a couple of the big ones. Um, The other thing that I would say is the fear, and this comes more from having a lot of medical professionals in our family, doctors, physicians, and understanding their mindset, and having spoken to them at length or with them at length about what happens in the medical community is this fear of, can I trust somebody else? I have a great example, a family of physicians, husband and wife spoke at length. They loved everything that they heard. They hated what their parents had done, hated what was happening with their own financial portfolio. And to this day, I still can't explain the answer. They came back and they said, we need to go talk to mom and dad. I said, (laughs) okay, that's awesome. That's a first. And I've never heard it since then, but it was very interesting, right? And we need to talk to mom and dad. And I said, absolutely. Talk to mom and dad. Let's get back together and address questions that you have. But a question I had for them was, Are you happy? Because I already knew that they weren't happy with what their parents had done and the prior financial planners and advisors they had used were referred on by their parents on both sides, right? Uh We're not happy with what mom and dad did and mom and dad doesn't know that there's something different out there because what we do is very different. Then how is it going to help us if we go back to mom and dad? Wouldn't it be better to maybe bring mom and dad into the conversation?
1: (laughs) Yeah, because if you go back and you're like, hey, mom and dad, you know, all mom and dad ever did was have a pension or a 401k. And you're like, we've been looking at some other things. We're thinking about buying an industrial warehouse. What do you think mom and dad? are gonna- Exactly. You said another thing, and I think this helps a lot of docs because you come from a family of physicians. And I think as docs, we feel like people don't understand us a lot that you kind of get this like, Well, I have to get deep in other people's emotions and their concerns, and everybody thinks I've got it made, but they don't know that Medicare is over there with a chisel on my income every year, that there's all these kind of doctor-specific stresses. And I always found that when you talk to somebody who's like, okay, my dad and my brother and my sister are all doctors, and I've listened to these conversations every Thanksgiving, so how many doctors are here in your family?
0: Just on my husband's side, we've got four. So it's very interesting. Nurse practitioners and other medical professionals, but just on the doctor side. And it's definitely interesting. Both medical topics as well as business topics and whatever else comes up, they're very unique mindsets just based on the fact that they are in the medical environment and they're surrounded by other doctors and the mindset. And it's very different than just simple business owners or more diverse business owners.
1: Because you mentioned a nurse practitioner and the healthcare field is changing and the number of and importance of nurse practitioners and physicians assistants and CRNAs or nurse is growing hugely. Do you see a difference in their approaches and how they think, or are they kind of following right along with the same pitfalls doctors fall into?
0: It's some of the same pitfalls. What I see is there's a pretty big discrepancy depending on the area of specialty and how much the level of income. There's a pretty big division, even within the medical professionals, based on the level of expertise, again, the income on an annual basis at a family level. Oftentimes, there's certain topics almost feels like they're better not spoken because there's a taboo, right? If they make more money that they're being looked at in a certain way, if they make less money, the ones that make more money look at their counterparts with, oh, well, you you wouldn't understand because we've got bigger problems. One of the things that comes up and it's always hilarious, and this is not family, this is just broader is we make too much money for our kids to go to college scotch-free. And in my mind, I'm thinking that's wonderful. Little do you know that most of the uber-wealthy actually don't end up paying for their children's college education? But sure, the half a million dollar, maybe up to a million and a half. We feel compelled that we have to do all of these things to provide support to everybody else around us because physicians and doctors in general have a huge giving heart. My philosophy is we need to give, we give a lot, but I want to give in a way that is meaningful to me, that addresses needs that I see in society. I don't want to just sponsor the people that don't want to go to work because we're during COVID and it's, I get paid a whole, they get paid a whole lot more by staying at home and not going to work, right? Because of the unemployment benefits. And so it's all about our mentality, our mindset, and realizing that Just because we make a lot of money and we save on taxes and we optimize how we build wealth, we're not robbing somebody else of their wealth. We're not robbing somebody else of their socialized assistance. What we do is we realign. And now instead of saying, hey, we're wanting to sponsor a system. Again, this comes from the heart of giving. We want to dive into a system and give back into a system that incentivizes the wrong behaviors, we can have a focus on incentivizing the right behaviors. We can change the trajectory of our children's future. They have the choice to say, listen, if they want to go down the path of becoming doctors, they can and they should, but that has to come from a place where it's because that's what they want to do, not because it pays well. Oftentimes, people, they're not able to make those distinctions because historically, either they come from a family of physicians or they don't. And there are, again, the discrepancies in income can play a huge role in mindset and how folks look at wealth and wealth creation.
1: You know, that's an interesting and how you look at what you do that when you feel like you have to make the money and you got to maximize the money. It can start to change the way you look at what you're doing. And you may have gone into medicine for one reason, but now that you're like, okay, now I got to send my kids to private school and I got to pay for them to go to college. And we have to live in a nice house and drive a nice car. And then if you're like, well, now I have to push so hard at work that now I'm not enjoying being a doctor. And it can change the whole thing. And I guess for me, that's part of why we're doing this podcast is that if you change that to where you have alternate income streams or you see your wealth growing because now it's managed better, it takes that pressure away Mm -hmm. that you don't feel like you have to go in and work more or see more patients. You can practice the way you want to. And if you have to change jobs or whatever because of that, you can And I think that leads to better patient care too. It leads to healthier doctors and healthier patients. So it's a great lead in there. You said one other thing about incentivizing that I heard uh, one tax planner say once, and the whole point of their talk was that we often hear about tax things, tax strategies, and people think of them like, oh, they're cheating the system or they're somehow not paying your fair share. And their take was the tax system is set up to incentivize certain behaviors. And as much as any tool the government has to incentivize people to do certain things, they use the tax code. And that's part of the reason why there's such great tax benefits to investing in real estate is the government wants people to be out there providing housing and providing places for businesses. If there's no place for a business, then there's not jobs. If there's no place to live, then you don't have a good society. And so a lot of these things, they're not cheats. They're not loopholes. The government has been very intentional about putting them there to get people to do these things. They're asking you, please do this and we'll pay you to do it.
0: So true. And the reality is that whether it's real estate or it's different types of ways of minimizing the tax exposure, number one, we have to call it what it is. It's not tax avoidance. People that avoid to pay taxes in ways that are illegal, we're not going to go there. They can judge for themselves what future would hold. But The tax code was written for individuals that want to take advantage of it, that are willing to do the extra work. The extra work doesn't just sit on a piece of paper somewhere. Here's the simple recipe. It's a lot more complex than that, which is why a lot of individuals, even on the tax side, don't go into the nitty gritty of the complexities of minimizing the tax exposure because frankly, most people and many people do not want to even go down that path. It's easier to just do what you're going to do. I'll never forget one of our clients, when we first started working together, she said, Eunicea, I need help because every time I ask my CPA to tell me what she would propose we do to minimize our tax exposure, she tells me that it's much better for me to just pay my 50% and keep 50% versus keeping more and having this cloud over my head about the possibility of dealing with an audit. It's like, well, if you're doing things legitimately Buy the book and buy IRS code. Why should you have a cloud over your head? What is your CPA actually doing? So the reality is that it's hard to know who to trust. But a bigger thing is this idea of the mindset we have to have as individuals, we have to work on our own mindset to say, you know what, we realize that we want more. We realize that what we have or how things go leaves us with a lot of questions let's get those addressed. Because the moment we get them addressed, we can have conversations at the next level. Now we can talk about, okay, what more can we do in ways that are truly strategic and that they can take us to that function of what a family office would be able to provide because our mindset is open. But without our mindset being open, the best strategies can be run in front of us, presented to us in the form of gold, and we're not going to recognize them because it sounds too good to be true.
1: That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been valuable for me, and I think will be of incredible value to the audience. In the show notes, we should have contact information. What is the best way to get a hold of you?
0: The best way is for folks to either send us an email, which they can find all that information on our website at excelstra.com. So, that's STRA.com. Shoot us a note, subscribe to our newsletter. And my only ask is please let us know that you heard about us here on this show with Mike, and it would be our pleasure to address any questions that you have regarding your own wealth empowerment, wealth creation strategy.
1: All right. Thank you so
0: much. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me.
1: This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you got value from this episode, you know other surgeons are hungry to become job optional, and you can help them by sharing this content today. I'd also love to serve you better, so I wanted to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you take a moment and leave an honest written review of the show, explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, If you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help you. Schedule a call and we can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.